So last week I started a sort of a uh, little mini-series, kind of a new series thing, something I've been thinking called Religion and Relationship, You Decide. My title, you know, it, it was meant, to, intended to be kind of a pun, kind of funny, kind of clever, all those things. Uh, but in reality, there's, there's a lot of truth in it. In, in reality, we, we really do all have a choice. We have a decision to make. And in fact, uh, it's not one decision one time. It's a series of decisions that spread out over the course of our life. Uh, and and it, it really is. Do, do, do we want to settle into, and, I, and I don't, I'm not saying settle for, but settle into a pattern of, of uh, it just sort of a formula or, this is how I put it last week, a system of rules, regulations, rituals, or routines as our means of connecting with God. Do we want to do that? Or do, do we want to, to really press in and, and uh, develop a real, live, walking, talking relationship with a living God? And, you know, look, when I put it that way, you go, well, of course, I'll do this. I won't do that, right? That's, everybody would make that choice. But here, here's the thing, and, and, and this is the reason that I felt led to share this, because I, I think, first of all, we're all prone to settling into our own routines. We're prone to falling back. That's sort of a default, is we do things, and sometimes they're good things, but when those things become the way we get to God, it, it, it pushes that relationship, that, that reality out. That, it's harder. Everybody knows that. It's harder, whether it's a human relationship or our relationship with God, it's harder to maintain that relationship in reality than it is to do those things. So, so that's, that's the thing. That's, that's really where we're going. I think we've got that in us. Today what I want to talk about is how did that happen? How did it happen that human beings who have the opportunity to relate to God, to connect with the, with the real living God, and, and, there, and we talked about it last week, that's in us. Every person has a, a desire somewhere deep inside of them to connect with God. How did it happen that, that we settle for less? How did it happen that there's such a propensity to uh, fall back into those routines? So I want to talk about the origin of religion today. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to take a look uh, at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, a few verses from each of the first three chapters of the Bible. So pray with me. And then we'll read uh, some of that together and we'll get rolling. Lord, open your word to us today. Allow uh, your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Enlighten the eyes of our heart today. Speak to us. uh, Teach us. Help us, Lord God, to uh, not just learn more about you, but but more of you. Help us, Lord, to connect with you in a real way today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1. This is a little bit later in the chapter, verses 26, 27, and then verse 31. And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So this is the high point of creation. This is, this is the, the uh, grand finale, if you will, you know, the end of the fireworks show where they all go off. This is the, 
the magnum opus. This, this is, you know, God's been out there creating stuff all week, and it's all been good. Good, good, good. Yeah, that's creating. I'm creating. Uh, good, 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 good. And then he, he, he creates man, and he adds man into the mix. It's very good, he says. This is, this is, this is the grand finale uh, of creation right here. One of the first things that uh, I notice, maybe you do too when we read this, is that there's a bit of a grammatical oddity there uh, when God says, let us make mankind in our image. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? You don't talk that way. Nobody talks that way unless you're kind of crazy. I, I heard, though, I read somewhere because, well, to be honest, as I've gotten a little bit older, I, I, I talk to myself a little bit sometimes. Yeah, amen, amen. Uh, but I heard somebody told me it's okay if you talk to yourself as long as you don't answer. So if you go, hey, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, let's go to the movies. Okay, what do you want to see? You know, if you start, if you start answering yourself, that might be a problem. Um, it's a little crazy to talk this way unless, here's the only other option would be, unless you really are plural. If you're really plural, uh, then, then that would be okay. God, God, is, God is speaking that way because God has relationship. God has community in and of himself, inherently, intrinsically. God has community. He's, he, he is community in his very nature. The, the nature of God, the DNA of God. What, you know, I, I love, I, I, it's, I know, I watch CSI and all those shows, you know, and, and, and they have the, you know, the, the, the whodunit kind of thing. I love that. It's just interesting to me. But the DNA, you know, DNA, uh, you, when they show it, you know, here, the, the, you can tell. Here's the DNA of this person, and we know it's this person because it doesn't match anybody else's. It's, it's specific to them. The New Testament gives us the DNA of God. What is the DNA of God? What is specific and unique to God? What makes God God? Uh, John tells us that in his first letter. First John gives us the unique nature, the essence of God, the makeup of God. He does it. It's so powerful to me. It's just one of the most powerful, simple, beautiful, profound things, the DNA of God. God is love. That's the DNA of God. That's what makes God God. What's, what, what, who is God? What is God? God is love. That's what God is. That's who God is. Uh, here, here, and here's the thing, to, to the original point. Love is a relational concept. You can't have love, and you certainly can't be love alone, by yourself. It doesn't work. Just think of that old illustration. You're, you're stranded on a desert island, right? And, 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 you're, and you're by yourself. You're all alone on this island. There's nobody there. Love is not going to be a very beneficial thing for you to have, you know. If there's two of you there, if you had a person with you, a partner, then it would be different because you could love that person. You could put their needs before your own. You could care for them. You could make sure they have food and they have water. But if you're all alone, uh, love isn't really going to help you much. Uh, if you Maybe creativity would help you. You could MacGyver away off the island or hope would help you. You could hang on until maybe somebody comes. There's a lot, of, a lot of internal qualities that might be really helpful, but love wouldn't be. In fact, the truth is, if you were really loving and you were all alone, it might just make you kind of crazy because you have this thing inside of you that, that just wants to give and there's, there's no one there 
to give to. We have that in us because, as we said last week, you remember, we're created in the image of God. God is love, and we're created like Him. Here, here's the thing. Let me, can I, th- this is why, that's why this thing we call church is, if, if it's done right, and uh, it's not always done right, if it's done right, it's really the most beautiful, amazing thing ever. It really is. Think about it. Think about it. All these loving creatures that are created in the image of God coming together to celebrate that. Isn't that cool? That, can I, I'll just, I'll give a, can I give a plug? I'll give a plug right now. You know what I like about tonight's worship time? I like a lot of things about it, but one thing I like is it's a body of Christ coming together, different churches coming together. It's no we're better than them, them, us. There's none of that. We're coming together to celebrate who we are in Christ. That's a cool thing. Why would you not want to do that? I don't know. It seems good to me. Uh, God is love. Jesus, Jesus was asked a question. I, 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 the the t- teacher of the law came to Jesus. He wants to know what's the greatest commandment. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, that's an interesting answer to me. Why? Why? Because he wasn't asked what the two greatest commandments are. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the one? But he doesn't give one answer. He gives two. He gives a dual answer. Why? Because Jesus knows that one without two is incomplete. That one without two really doesn't work. It's an incomplete answer. You can't do that. He knew that you can't love God without loving others. It defies creation. It defies the created order. It, it, it's, uh, it cuts against the grain of who we are in our very heart. Can I just say this to you guys? To love the Lord your God with all your heart is to love your neighbor, and to love your neighbor is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the way this thing works. Jesus, here, back to my title. Jesus was asked a religious question. And he gave a relational answer. See, we have created in us a a bi-directional spirituality. It goes this way. And our our spirituality, can I tell you this, is worked out in loving one another. How do we become more spiritual? Some people try to become more spiritual through religion. If I pray more hours a day, if I do this, if I do that. No, our spirituality is worked out as we learn to love one another. That's, That's how it really grows we can't say we can't say i love god but i hate other people we can't say that apostle john says if you say that what you're a liar i wouldn't do that i wouldn't be quite that blunt but he would apostle john would say you're 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 a liar if we really do love god then the outworking of that love, the expression of that love, the way that love will happen is that we learn to love the people that God loves. And again, it, I mean, I think that's easier said than done. That, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? You all know why. I mean, if you've been alive more than about five minutes, you have been hurt in a relationship. Maybe you've been hurt a little bit. Maybe you've been hurt a lot. Maybe you've been hurt a lot in multiple relationships and so it becomes a difficult thing. It's very challenging to be willing to love again. 
it gets, it gets really hard to do that. It gets hard to trust again. Because in, in our mind, we just think, you know what? If I take that risk, if, if, if I invest myself in another relationship, if I trust again, I'll just get beat up again. That's what happens. Don't we think that way? Can I, I'll be, can I do two confessions right now? When Wally shared this morning about this, you know, let go of things, that's one of the things that's hard for me. It's hard sometimes to invest because I think, oh, I just, if I invest in somebody else, I'll just get walked on again. I mean, I'm just being honest. That's, that's the reality of, of the world we live in. So we say, no, thank you. Here's the thing. Let me tell you the, the truth. The antidote to a hurtful relationship is not no relationship. The antidote to a hurtful relationship is a healing relationship. The antidote to a bad relationship is not withdrawing into isolation. The antidote to a bad relationship is a good relationship. We, we, ha- we have got to be willing. We've got to be willing to take that risk and to invest again. We've got to be willing to put ourselves in line. I've said this before, but it's really, really true. You know, I, I talk to people uh, from time to time. It's a fairly common thing I run into, especially in the last 10, 15 years or so. Someone says, well, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. And I'm going, well, you know, I, I, that's, that's nice, but it doesn't work that way. That really is an oxymoron. That really does defy the created order. That really does defy the purpose of God. You, you really can't do one without the other. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I mean, again, John would call you a liar. He said it doesn't work that way. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created. A couple things about that. Verse 26, he said, uh, let us in our, let us make mankind in our image. And then here, the ne- very next verse, he says, he, our he. That, that's, uh, that's weird, too. That, that's a grammatical contradiction. Uh, and I, I read a lot, and, and, and I write a little bit. I try to write. Uh, I'm not a writer, but I, I like to write. But when you, if you're a reader and a writer, when you read things like that, it drives you crazy. You see that, you go, good God, fix that, would you please? It's horrible grammar. It's terrible grammar. But here's the thing. It's, it's very good theology. Bad grammar is good theology. Uh, it's good theology because, you know, God, collectively, God is the he that's in us. God really is that unity and community that comes together. And, and, and he made us, us, in his image, male and female. Second thing I want to say about this, the personal pronoun there, he, is really, uh, I believe, an an inadequate word to use for God. Okay, and I I know I'm treading on thin ice here. Uh, I don't think there's an adequate word in Hebrew or English to really fully describe God. You can't say it, okay? And, I, and I'll give you an illustration, and some of you know this. Uh, your, your friend is pregnant. They're going to have a baby. Your friends are going to have a baby, but they don't know the sex of the baby yet, don't know if it's a boy or a girl. So you say what? Well, when it's born, and they do what? Slap you in the face. Don't you dare call my baby an it. No, we never say it. We default typically and say he. 
We say he when he's born. And we know in our mind it may not be a he, it may be a she, but that's the default setting. He, uh, because we don't know. God is like that, but, but different. He's bigger. He's, it's hard. Uh, you know, there's several Psalms, and I think one of the prophets, and, and I believe Jesus actually at one point references this. God is referred to, uh, he's, you know, he's, there's an illustration that's used. He's a, a chick or a hen with her baby chicks. You know those things? And the, the image is a beautiful image, really, of the, the, if you've ever had chickens and you've seen the mother hen, all the little chicks running really close and she puts her wings over them and protects them and keeps them safe from the bad, I don't know, ferrets or whatever. I don't know what's out there. But it's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful image. But let me just say this. Our father has, uh, has some very motherly qualities to him. He really does. Our father has some motherly qualities. It's both, both being masculine and being feminine really do. Masculinity and femininity reflect the beauty of God in, a, in an amazing way. And, and can I say this? That's a mystery. That's a mystery. And I love that. I love the mystery of God. You know what? I'm just going to go all out today. You know what drives me insane? I, you know what bugs me? One of my pet peeves is these people that think they've got God all figured out. I've got God all figured out. Well, whoop-dee-doo, I don't think so. No. No, 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 you don't. God is a mystery. I personally celebrate the mystery of God. I celebrate the fact that God is so stinking big that we can't even begin. I think, I think that should make us appreciate and respect one another. We need each other. Do you know that? We need each other. There's something about, there's something about the sisters and the brothers together in this family reflecting the image of God in a way that alone we cannot... And really, not not reflecting just humanity, not even just the whole thing. Reflect that. That's that is amazing. I want to learn more about that. I want to press into that. I want to find out what. what, I that that I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to judge. I I think that's holy ground. I hear. ah, I'm not going to. I won't go that far. But just to, to me, that's holy ground. It's like that's that's so precious. That's so special. I'm not going to. I'm not going to desecrate that. I'm, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to stereotype that. I, I'm going to say, whoa, that's, that, you know, the old say, that's above my pay grade. Chapter 2, it kind of hits the reset button. Uh, it tells the story again, but it tells it in a little more detail. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living thing. Ah. Oh. Oh. Does that just give you goosebumps? Our aliveness, our essence, is breathed into us. It's the breath of life. It comes from God. We're, we're not God, but we come from God. But what else? We also come from dirt we come from god and we come from dirt you and i are where god and dirt meet literally 
<laughs> now, that should give you some perspective. Uh, we got a little bit of both in us, don't we? Don't we? We're the image of God, but eh, time to time, we screw up. Time to time, we make a mess of things. Uh, people are weird that way. Have you ever noticed that? You ever heard anybody say, oh, I'm never going to do that again? Anybody ever heard that? What happens when somebody says that? Two weeks. I give them two weeks. Re- New Year's resolutions. Biggest joke on the planet. Uh, we're going to, I'm never, we're going to resolution. Yeah, I, two days on that. Forget that. We, we, we make those things. We know we're going to break them. It's not even a, it, we know. We, that's what we do. That's what people do. To be human, to be human really, you know, it's, it's God and dirt. To be human is to be beautiful and be broken all at the same time. We are one big, beautiful mess, people. I, you know, Paul says in, in Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay. I love that. We have this beautiful, amazing thing, and it's just cracked and ugly sometimes. You know what I mean? It's just, that's the reality of, uh, of, of who we are. Here, I'm gonna give you, here's another little history lesson. Remember last week we talked about Neanderthal man? That was history. Here, here's a little history lesson. If you, uh, if you, uh, ancient religion, pagan religions, uh, the craftsman would make an idol, the golden calf. And here's the, the internet. Here's how messed up the internet is. I googled golden calf, and that came up. That's not a calf. That has horns. It's a cow. It's ridiculous. But it doesn't matter. Craftsmen make an idol, and, and those idols were idols. They represent a god, right? We get that part. There's these different things. They represent gods, but they're just statues. They're not gods, they're statues. But, so then what would happen? They had what they called a spiration ceremony. After the idol is made, the artist, the craftsman, would, would breathe on the idol to give it life. Well, of course, it didn't work, but that's what they thought, is they breathe on to give it life. But here's the point. The point was they were just copying the original. They were going after what God did because God breathed his spirit into man, but it did work. There was life. God breathed life into us. And so the air we breathe comes from God. And here's the thing. In a very, very real way, God is the atmosphere that our spirits were created to live in. We're created to live in the... Just think about the atmosphere we live in for a minute. We are created to live in God. That's the atmosphere we are created to live in. God is the atmosphere. He breathed, him, he breathed life onto us. That's really beautiful. That has some power and some strength in it, but it also has some weakness in it. If, if someone wanted to exploit that, okay, uh, uh, we, here's what could happen. We, if we could be led to believe that God was far away, that God wasn't close, that God wasn't near. The atmosphere, what happens? You've done, you know this. If you're climbing Mount Everest and you go higher and higher and higher and the air gets thinner and thinner and you get further and further from the atmosphere you're supposed to be in, or if you're underwater for too long, what happens? You can't breathe. It gets pulled away. You, you, begin, you, you have, uh, you, you have a, a panic attack, right? Before you actually run out of air, you, you begin to think you're running out of air and you have a panic attack. It's, a, it's anxiety, separation anxiety. If we could be led to believe that we weren't in the environment we're supposed to be in anymore, we'll have a spiritual pa- panic attack. 
We begin to have separation anxiety. We begin to think we're separate from God. Oh, no, oh, no. I got to do something to fix this problem. That's exactly what happens in chapter 3. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the, 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 we learned with the, the serpent was more crafty. We learn later the serpent is, is Satan, the devil, the evil one. He's the enemy. He's our enemy. And, he, and, he, and he's more crafty than any of the other animals. That's an interesting word. What does it mean to be crafty? Uh, it's sneaky. You have, you have underestimated my sneakiness. Uh, he's, he's, uh, if you look up crafty in the dictionary, it's, it's uh, uh, subtly clever. The King James actually says subtle there. That's the word that King James uses. He was subtle. It wasn't blatant and out. He was subtle. He was sneaky. He was manipulative. He came in. Um, he actually has the ability to craftily, craftily get people to do what he wants. That's an interesting thing, getting people to do what you want to do. Uh, you, know, you know, if you use that for good, what's it called? It's leadership. If you use it for bad, it's manipulation. Very fine line there. Think about that. That's free. You don't have to pay for that. Um, he's crafty. He can move us in a direction that he wants us to go. And so he says to Eve, did God really say? I, you know, the devil has no new tricks. I want you to know that. I'll just give you a, a tip today. That's the same thing he still uses. That is, those four words, that right there, that little phrase, that is the seed of doubt. That is the seed of doubt. Can I just tell you that? That's the, everything you believe, did God really say that? I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to pray for healing. Well, did God really say he would heal those people? Well, if I share my faith with somebody, maybe God will, did God really say that? That's the seed of doubt right there. That's what he does. First of all, let's just, let's just point some things out here. God didn't say that. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? No, God really did, actually did not say that. Second, and here's the thing. Here's what happens here is... He's asking a question about God as if God's not there, right? That's what he said. Did God really say that? Well, uh, that's the God who is there. The God who is there. He's asking a question about God. Uh, Eve could have right here, and this would have been beautiful. And, And here's another tip for us when God says that. Well, why don't you ask God? He's right here. That would have been the, the correct answer. But the craftiness, the subtlety, the manipulation causes her to, to think, hmm, I don't know, and, and feel like I've got, that's a, I've, got to, I've got to answer the question. So Eve continues on in this conversation as though God's not there anymore. She's beginning to believe what the enemy is trying to get her to believe, that God's somehow far away. The woman said to the serpent, we may not eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. That, boys and girls, that is the beginning of religion right there. Genesis 3, chapter 3. Two whole chapters, really one chapter, actually. Uh, Man lived in perfect communion, unadulterated relationship with God. And right here, everything goes sideways. Th- th- this, is the, this is the beginning of what's called 
the oral Torah or the, the, the law or the word of God that's passed down from generation to generation verbally. Now, you guys get that right? Do you understand? I, I mean, I think you know this, but I, I think we need to know this. The Bible, it, it didn't just happen. It didn't, well, isn't just, it, didn't, it didn't just come in its form like this. Well, just, you know, it wasn't like that. Those stories that we read in the Bible, before anybody wrote them down, and this is true of all of the Bible at different times, it, it was passed on from generation to generation verbally. It was the stories were told. Grandpa tells a story to the kids, and the kids tell to the next kids, and it's passed down generation to generation. This is the beginning of that. The, the, the word of God is passed down verbally uh, from generation to generation. That's a good thing. Okay, I'm gonna This is the, how a good thing goes bad. That's a good thing. We, we want to do that, right? We're told to do that in Scripture. We tell these things to your kids. That's what we do, right? Um, but here's what religion... And what religious tradition does is it just adds a little bit to the story. Adds a little bit. Just gonna, I'm going to clean it up a little bit. I'm going to make it a little more conservative, a little safer. God didn't say you can't touch that tree, did he? No, he didn't say that, just in case you forgot. But Eve just thought, well, that might give it a little flair, a little panache. That makes it a little, a little better. I can, I can improve on the story. And then she goes right on in this conversation as though God's not there. And, and the serpent comes back and he, he answers, Well, you, you will not certainly die. God knows that when you eat, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. But instead, what will happen? You'll be like God. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Why is that a weird thing to say? Because they're already look like they're already like God. We're made in His image. We're all, why would He say that we're already like Him? We're made like God. We're made to love like God. We're made to swim in the atmosphere that that is God. The only thing we're not to do is judge. The only thing we're not to do is judge like God. That's God's job. Only God is to judge. Only God can judge because only God has sufficient information. You can't really make a judgment on somebody unless you know all the facts, right? But the truth is we don't ever really know all the facts. Well, God does. He, he has all the information he needs. That's his job. That's the only thing that we're not to do. All the rest of it, we're already like him. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or, or I, I, would, I would really just say the tree of judgment is a very good definition of that. Of that. We eat from that tree without sufficient information, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, we begin to look at other people differently. We begin to pronounce judgment on them. We begin to, to look at everybody else and say, well, you know, oh, this is, that's, that, that's the way they are. That, that's what they do. Can you see where this thing went? So can you see that, that, that th this is the beginning? That's what we do. That's what we do today, all these years later. It's the same thing that, that, that happened right then, right there. We, we now take that place that was not our place to take and we pronounce judgments on one another. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of judgment and we've been eating from it ever since. This is not only the first sin. I'll try to wrap this up in three minutes. Um, this is not only the first sin, but this is the, the first context for sin. I've told you guys before, when we, when we read Scripture, context is important, and, and this is important. The context for the sin... And it's important because it's still the context for sin. The context for the sin is the suggestion that God's not there. 
that God's not there. God is somewhere far away. God isn't close by. God's not listening. God's not paying attention. See, for people who were created in the image of God, for, for people who have the breath of life in them, for people who the atmosphere that they live in that supports them is the Spirit of God, that's not a good thing. What happens when all of a sudden they think God's far away? Anxiety, they have a spiritual panic attack. We begin to try to fill that gap. We begin to try to get back to claw our way back to God, to build that tower to heaven, to fill that gap. We, we, we really begin to try to take charge and make it happen. This is, the, this is the, the context, the original sin, sin impulse. It's all manipulated by Satan. Right here, right there, that's how religion began. That, that's where it all began. He takes something good, an inherent strength, and he turns it against us. He gets people to begin talking about God as though he's not there. He gets people to begin analyzing. Did God say that? Analyzing God systematically. I've said this before, kind of half-jokingly, but sort of not really. But systematic theology is a great tool. But the only, the only problem is the Bible's not systematic. We have to, to actually have systematic theology, we have to take it apart. We have to deconstruct it and reconstruct it in a different order to make it work. Did God really say that? Well, I think God might have said this. I'm not sure. Did God say that or did he mean this? I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do. We study and analyze it, and it sucks the life right out of it. When you study something in a scientific way, what, what has to happen first? You have to kill it. It's like the little monkeys, right? The PETA guys come, and they let the little monkeys out of the cage. Go, be free, be free, monkeys, because they don't want the scientists, the bad, evil scientists, to kill them. To study something scientifically, you have to kill it and dissect it and take it apart and weigh its organs and figure it all out. That's what we do. See, if God becomes the topic that we study and we don't pause <coughs> to actually talk to him, we lose it all. Here's the, here's the deal. I, I, I'm a vineyard guy. I, I'm, not, I'm not apologetic about that. I, I love the vineyard. We have five values, five vineyard values. The first value, number one, is kingdom theology and what? Anybody? Oh, my gosh. You're killing me. Kingdom theology and practice. It's not just this is what we believe about God, but because we believe this about God, this is how we act. This is what we do. It's kingdom theology and practice. The fifth one, anybody want to tell me what the fifth one is? I did a whole series. It's experiencing God. It's not studying God. It's experiencing God. It's all about swimming in the atmosphere that we're created to live in. That's what it's about. The study of God can kill God because God is the one who was there. Now, let me say, I want to make sure you guys aren't hearing me wrong. Like I said earlier, the antidote to that is not to not study. The antidote is to study with God. Okay? This, I teach a class now and then anybody that will listen, called what? How to study the Bible. How to study the Bible. But two of the most important things in the class are this. The first thing I tell everybody, the very beginning of the class, why do we read the Bible? To come into God's presence and be transformed. We don't read the Bible to know more about God. Boo, bad. We read the Bible 
to come into God's presence and be transformed. How, how do we read the Bible? We pray first. Pray first. We invite God into the process. Lord, open your word. Speak to me today. Just like we pray at the beginning of worship, beginning of service. Same thing. Speak to me today. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Show me about you. Show me who you are. Take me to new places with you. You ever, you ever read the Bible and you just begin to weep? God touches you? Anybody ever had that experience? Am I the only one? Good grief, people. I do cry a lot. It, it's, 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 it's got it. We, we, it's, the antidote is not to not study. The antidote is to invite God into the process and to study with him. So I just want to make sure you, you hear me say that. We, we bite into the, the, uh, the, the tree of, of, of life. It's not just judgment. It's not judgment. It's really life. If we bite into that other tree, we take a bite of that, we really do have that spiritual pan atta- panic attack, and we begin to think we're separated from God and, and, and then what happens is we, we feel like we have to do something about it. We try to make it better. Sometimes we try to get closer to God. Sometimes we just try to become God. And, well, I can fix this on my own. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, thank you. I have. I can make this right. Ha, huh. no, you can't. Well, with my help, you can. You get me involved, but no, on your own, you can't. Here's the thing, and I'll, I'll end with this. I know it's late. I'm sorry. Here's what Jesus did for us. I mean, this is one thing. He did a lot of things. But one, one big thing, and then this is a whole series. Jesus uh, reminds us all the time that God is here. That's what he does. That's, that's what G, G, Emmanuel, God with us. God's not far off. God's not not listening. God's not missing in action. God, God is with us. He's here all the time. He's with us. He's within us. He's around us. He's the atmosphere. God's here. God isn't far away. Don't buy into that lie. God's with us all the time. Let's stand. Uh, Worship people. (laughs) Hey, it's late, but I I, I do, uh, you know, I want to close with an opportunity for ministry today. So here's how it works, and we'll have to kind of speed the process up, but these guys will worship a little bit, and as they're doing that, I'm going to invite our ministry team to come on up now. Just come up and stand in the front. If you'd like prayer today, and anything at all, really, it's wide open. If you've got questions, things, just somebody to pray with you, bless you, whatever it might be, come up, and, and, and uh, as, we, as we wrap up today, somebody will be glad to, to pray with you and pray for you, okay?